Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's International Fight Week, UFC 290, one of the, if not the, supposed to be anyway, premier nights in all of the nights that UFC has in a calendar year. 11 years after the very first International Fight Week, is that still true? Here are three dumbasses, <laughs> old as shit, none of whom are going to that event to tell you if that's true or not. That's Brian Campbell. That's the Iceman himself, Chuck Mendenhall. I'm Luke Thomas. This is the official UFC 290 pre-game preview. How we doing, gents? I'm a little bit more fired up for the Friday night offering, July 7th, of Power Slap 3, oh, which will be <laughs> taking over. Is that, the, uh, is that really? That is a real thing that's happening. Is that, now, here's the question. Is that officially part of the Fight Week experience? Because the Fight Week experience goes from the Monday to the Sunday. Yes. Is it part of that? Like, Yes. Wow. You like it being tethered to the UFC, like this whole slap fight? You like that? I don't understand what the UFC is doing half the time, <laughs> candidly. Uh, so, no, that would not, not be wrong. my favorite thing. But here we are, boys. Yes. So I was digging into this a little bit. The very first International Fight Week was uh, in 2012. And wow. uh, shouts to the guys. We, we love them. Uh, shouts to the video about it. Uh, MMA on Point has one where they basically explained it was trying to solve a problem in Las Vegas. And the problem was for... New, so you're not New Year's Eve, I'm quite the opposite, but for 4th of July, mm. the city was having a little bit of difficulty attracting tourism, which is obviously a huge part of their economy. So they worked with the city, they did some economic studies about what they could bring, and they were right. They ended up doing these events. They have UFC X, which is the, the giant expo that, uh, that takes place a couple days outside of the fights. All of these pool parties and pub crawls and meet and greets and everything else. And it ended up bringing consistently year over year, with the one exception for the pandemic, a fair amount of money. Mm -hmm. Here we are. Chuck, 11 years into it. So let's ask, 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 I should say, the basic question here. Is International Fight Week 11 years on a success? Man, that's such a great question. The truth is, too, like, it seemed like a bigger deal early on, but this could be just because we used to go to this, and when the UFC was kind of coming up, it felt like a bigger deal because it did attract all that. And you'd have, like, all the legends. I don't know if you ever walked around the Expo Hall, but you would see everybody in there. Mm -hmm. Everybody, all, you know, so it was kind of like, especially with the Hall of Fame, once it became part of it and all of that stuff, it felt like a bigger deal. This one hasn't really struck me that way yet, but... Uh, I don't know if that's just because, honestly, like I'm not attending it, or if it's just it just you get used to it, uh, or something like that. But it hasn't struck me as like a big a big deal this year, has it? You guys, I mean, I don't really feel like well, they kind of you know go in like they used to. I think the events are still in place for it to feel like a major. If there are majors in the UFC calendar, right? This is certainly one of them. Uh, the, you know, in, in fact, maybe the biggest one, maybe the go-to one, where you're like, that's an event. If I go there for the week, I get the Hall of Fame, the convention, because basically you get. Yeah unadulterated fan access, which is great. 
But what we're really asking here is has the card, the one, two, and sometimes one, two, three punch atop the card, mm. has that f made this one and really the last two or three combined truly feel like a special major. I liked UFC 200, for yeah. example, when they had the yellow canvas. Yeah. It felt different. They also had three events that week instead of just one. I think it ultimately comes down to if you have that main or that main and co-main combo that just screams must see, stop the presses, it's Connor, it's John Jones, it's Cormier, it's you know whoever is big in the moment, then it feels that way. We've got a fantastic main event. We've got a card that I think top to bottom is very good, but still might fall short mm -hmm. of IFW comparisons. But that one, two, three punch or bang, that's not their, the hair this year. And, you know, to be fair, sometimes you need that bolt of lighting in a, in a McGregor mm -hmm. or that matchup like a DC Jones 2, which was supposed to be what we didn't get at 200 to, to really make it feel that extra. Is that a fair statement? I think it's pretty fair. I mean, the the way I would look at it is if the UFC partnered with the city of Las Vegas to solve an economic problem, I think that I would argue that they have, if not solved it, they have meaningfully contributed to making 4th of July different in Las Vegas. I think UFC deserves a lot of credit for that. Yeah, And all true. of these other events that they put on. And, and, and again, like these are multi-day affairs all over Las Vegas, a lot of different vendors and, and, uh, places who are taking part in it. So on that level, I think International Fight Week has been a grand success. The question is, year to year, how have the cards been? And they've been either really good or just inconsistent. And they've had some bad luck with some of those they cards, plenty too. of bad yeah. luck. Yeah. UFC 200 is, is a huge... Remember, that's supposed to be yes. Diaz and Connor, and then that fell through, then it was John Jones and Cormier, and then that fell through. I wrote a story for CBS <laughs> yes. Sports that we actually updated, uh, I think, three separate times and basically said that for eight straight years, the main or co-main yeah. that was initially like that. announced to bring people in was canceled or altered, and obviously UFC 200 was an all-different thing altogether. But they were a little bit quicker, more nimble back in the day to say, okay, we got an issue here. Let's get Anderson Silva up in the bullpen to fight Cormier. Let's do anything <laughs> to true. patch it together. Now, it feels like a very good card, but it feels like just another very good card. Right. I would like a return to sort of let's, when we map out the 12-month calendar in the UFC war room, and we're hoping, right, to have McGregor here, we're hoping to have Jones here, we're hoping to have these big ticket items. I would like to see a little bit more you know, advanced setting circle, put the biggest names on here to make this still feel. It may be, the numbers may all be the same travel-wise, which mm -hmm. is really what this is about for tourism, bring people in. But in terms of that feeling giant, Just like that know. thing is coming in the summer that you can't miss. I don't know if we felt that yeah, in three I don't know. or four I don't years. even know who those, who are the people that they could put on it to make it feel as big as it could. You know, like at this point in time, like if Connor's not fighting, you know what I'm saying? And if, I, don't, I don't even, John Jones, he's, Often over. I mean, who could they put on it? I mean, I mean to be fair, if this was Jones and Stipe, deep card, which I think yeah. they could have made, yeah. as long as they were willing to pay for I it, I suppose that would that feel more felt like monstrous. Yeah. That was here's the thing. Like, like I want to give UFC a credit because to your point, it's not an elite card, but it is a good card. It a good it's card. a it's a very respectable card. And again, on the economic contribution front, I think UFC deserves a lot of credit. But in a world where the most recent estimates are that they're paying 13% of um, gross rev to <laughs> the athletes. You know, it's just like if money is what's holding these fights up, then the UFC does deserve some blame for not being able right. to put some of the bigger, more marquee names into steadier rotation. I don't think that's necessarily unfair. Right. I mean, look, if, if the co-main or the third fight on this card was Justin Dustin 2, as opposed to being the main event a couple weeks later in a, in a different pay-per-view, I think you could come into here feeling that old IFW yeah, buzz when you, if you added that to the group that's already there. But again, it's missing that. You ask a good question. Who are those people? It can be matchup dependent, but it also can be 
if I see Holloway there, if I see Poirier there, those are the yeah. sort of brands I guess we expect, or at least I expect for IFW. I think when we had, what was it, Adesanya Cannoneer last year, mm -hmm. it felt a little bit lower than normal. And also that fight did not deliver. Exactly, and that can matter too at the end of the day. I mean, you know, we saw Adesanya Romero in the spot once mm -hmm. not deliver, but the fight before that, if you correct me if I'm wrong, was Joanna versus Wei Li won, and that certainly did. But um, I know we're not going to get what we got at UFC 200 in 2016 because that was about the sale, right? It was about... How great can we be in That's this right. short yeah. season? But I do expect a little bit more. But with that said, do we hate this card? No. no. Very good no. pay-per-view card. It actually plays and, a, in and a main event that you you right. you gotta go full, full, full mask full. on. Full. <laughs> how, uh, how wide can I sit right now? That just, would just man spread. <laughs> that would just, I mean, low-level like, prime. At some point, is it illegal what I'm doing right now? I am just right now going full mass. <laughs> just don't do what you do at the bus stop and keep your pants up. For oh, um, for the women's no, for, look for look uh, that main event. Okay, I look middle-aged in that position. Yeah, yeah that's not. But it kind of it does bring yeah. up like the other point about Volkanovski in general, like as a, as a champion for defenses. And I mean, the guy is just, as a featherweight, is just has been untouchable. The guys he's gone through beating Max Holloway all the time is still largely unsung. Right. The fact that we, like, are talking about this right off the top and we're not, like, just mentioning him as that guy, as one of those guys, kind of tells you something, isn't it? It's like, it's weird with him. It's so just, I'm glad you brought that up because the argument has always been, hey, look who has been a part of International Fight Week. In fact, if you go to the original 2012 one, it was the rematch between Anderson Silva and Chael Sonnen. And then you had Ronda fight on it. And then you had, I think, Weidman fight again. And you had Brock on there, Connor fought on there. So you yeah. have all these big names. Here's the interesting part. I think I'm so glad you brought this up. When we turn to Volkanovski and we say, oh, this is a great card, but not necessarily super thrilling. It's great. The UFC for International Fight Week is putting on what many consider to be the number one pound for pound right. fighter on earth, defending his title back at his normal weight class. BC, shouldn't that be a cause for greater celebration <laughs> oh, it than is. perhaps it, it is. has been? It is. Uh, well, look, I think this is one of those hardcore slam dunk, 10 out of 10, can't miss it. But I also think it, this couldn't and will permeate to certain degrees into the crossover fan base. The, the Mexican champion angle, obviously, mm -hmm. with the Ayer, The Look, there's a lot of reasons to love this. I think what we're speaking to more is uh, do we have that second or third or all Bang, because there's, there's certain fights that are right. bang fights. Like, if you said, what what could this pay-per-view have been? I mean, it could have been, to me, Justin versus Dustin, too. It could have been Adesanya versus Hamza. Something crazy like that to True. get the people in. This doesn't have that. You have a very good title fight in the co-main event spot that you, that is going to be fun. It can add a lot. And you have a big name and a big star in Robert Whitaker and somewhat of a weird, interesting fight that will decide the future. And you got the Bo Nickel factor. And there's enough of a package here to say... Very good pay-per-view yeah. card. I do expect great here, but um, uh, as I just ended the last round with, at least they got the main event right. So Volkanovski is only as popular as he is despite that. But this is a this doesn't have like a hate matchup. This isn't yeah. him against Connor or something. But it's it's good it's good. It enough. doesn't have it's, like this is one of the three or four right. best fights you can make in the sport. I think that in in the past they've always tried to attract a broader group right like they, they want that transcendent type of personality nobody really on this card is that right like there's nobody on there that's like transcendent so i would say that this is more like if you're looking at it, it's a really good card especially from a, a hardcore fans perspective i mean this is a really good card but it just doesn't have that yeah. sort of transcendent but that they speaks work, to the espn you know, deal and yeah. where they're at and what they're trying that to is do. true too five years ago they're still trying to have this pay-per-view in the summer that that is the biggest one of the year they're, they're not yeah. trying to do that anymore all right, so let's talk about Alexander Volkanovsky there, uh, Iceman. Sure. Where is he heading into this? Because I think he's about 34 years of yeah. age, right? 
He had the loss to Makachev, but a lot of people feel like he won it. He right. st- it certainly, at a bare minimum, was a moral victory. Yeah. I would say that. Uh, are people just expecting him to cruise here? He hasn't quite reached superstardom. Give me a lay of the land, aside from how infested with bugs the studio is. <laughs> Give me a lay of the land of the state of Volkanovsky's career. Where is he? I mean, going back, I just hope that people... When he came out of that last fight, I thought he actually came out better than he went in. Like, I thought people really saw something in him. But it's almost like every time he fights, when he fights, it's like an astonishment. Like, you watch him, you're like, oh, my God, this guy is good. But people kind of forget as you go away again, and then he comes back, and it's kind of the same thing. I do believe he's reached this part now of his career where people are expecting him to roll, especially against – he's not a woodwork contender, but he's a guy who's been around for a long time in Yara Rodriguez. He's been around for a long time. We've seen him lose. We've seen guys who've had his number in the past. And I think that that all adds up to one of those feelings of, oh, this should, Volkanovski should just roll. He's been able to do that with guys who've beaten, you know, Rodriguez. But – it's so dangerous, man. It's just so dangerous because Yair, especially in his last couple of fights, man, he's looked very good. I think he's honed in. Like, I think he's kind of uh, at the peak of his powers, to be honest, man. So it feels like a dangerous fight in that sense. Like, I think he wants it. And, uh, you know, he's went through some interesting parts of his career where I wasn't sure. So it feels like a setup in a weird way because of Volkanovski. Mm. I think, you know, that's just my read on it. But Volkanovski, man, I mean... I feel like he's bordering on, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but bordering on historic heights, you know, in the no, featherweight division. Past that. I think he's yeah. past bordering even, on. Even with, uh, in, the, in, like the, in the featherweight, like, so beating Aldo and Holloway, did it, like, just being able to get through those guys? Or uh, Look, I think this, this fight is part of that discussion. Part of that discussion is because Volkanovski has already sort of, I don't want to say shown his hand, but in recent weeks he seems to be teasing that the move to 55 full-time is inevitable. Or at the very least, his pursuit and want yeah. of a rematch against Mahachev is front yeah. of his mind. Is that more likely to happen than Holloway for? Yes, it is. So I think for me, it's what, what I love about this fight outside of on paper what the matchups tell you and the, the excitement potential and all of that, is these are two fighters that are I think are you can argue are hitting the, the, the peak moments of their career at the exact same time which they've come in at different times. They've been through things before. Volkanovski's already been on top. He's been on top for a while. But that yeah. loss is a win against Mahachev. And I scored it for Mahachev. It's still a win yeah. for Volkanovski because so of how much he impressed us. So he's coming in like number one pound for pound, but almost on a Superman level from what we just saw at Lightweight. And... Yair, on the other hand, is the most dangerous he's ever been by far and operating at almost like a Charles Oliveira-like confidence level where you're just like, I don't know if I can put a limit at who he can't chop through. Yeah. Did I think he was going to go through Josh Emmett in a round and a half? No, I didn't think it would be that, <laughs> yeah, that, so that efficient, that easy. So I love that it's them peaking at the same time, but it's still also going to be, I think, uh, a moment of closure in the featherweight run of Volkanovski. And I think when I say we're That's past the idea of is he historically reverent, now it's just where is he? With a victory here, Luke, if it happens. Is he a top is it fair to say like, we're I don't saying, know if you do. Want we're saying, I want, I want to ask you two questions in one here about Volkanovski, which okay. I think echoes what you're saying. Could this put him above uh, above uh, Aldo as the greatest featherweight of all time? Uh, you know, any any organization? And number two, how close is Volkanovski right now from literally being in that upper room of the all-time greats? Because we did an exercise recently where I ranked my my goats and I had him at ten. Mm. Had him at ten. So Volkanovski, really? Y- yeah. Wow. And I think if you really break it down. Yeah. So on the first count, greatest at featherweight. Um, that's a tough one because it's just a definition or a question of 
which definition of excellence you use, right. which is the body of work at that weight class or, you know, individual flashes of brilliance or some combo between. Um, I would say that I think Volkanovski is certainly a better fighter than Aldo. I don't think that is uh, too crazy, but I'd have to really compare their reigns to say who has done more at this point. And the question of where does he rank all-time greats, I think you might be a little bit premature. Here's the thing about top 10. That's why this fight is so interesting. I completely agree with you on one thing, which was he's fighting Yair at his peak. Right. I mean, Yair is a really interesting case study here where a guy who got, remember he got cut from the UFC right. briefly yeah. anyway, yeah. had his fits and starts, had terrible losses, had some great wins, but you kind of thought he's one of these guys who, you know, yeah. Mexico's Makwan Amir Khani or something, yeah. right? You'd 100%. See, right? You'd see him on those <laughs> yes. kinds of cards and then not again. And that's just not at all his trajectory. So he's fighting a really tough guy. But the thing for me is, for, in order for me to say that about Volkanovski, about he's really in that upper tier, I, he would need to clean out this weight class. Yeah, beating Max three times is insane. Okay, but isn't does? But this is our my point. Isn't beating Yair him cleaning out this incredible weight? Precisely. Class? So in other words, I can't really answer the question until he does this because if Yair goes in there and decapitates him, which, however unlikely you might find that, is still very much on the table at least. Well, then the conversation <laughs> okay, changes but just, dramatically. Just to you, I did preface it when I tossed the question over to you by saying. If potentially okay. he gets past Yair, um, that was the setup to the question to basically say, is yes. there more? Because I could make the argument that this fight is more about Yair than it is Alex because Yair, to everything you guys just said, is finally breaking through. But it also may be simultaneously the final statement at featherweight for Volkanovski yeah, in yeah. one run in one division that is, I think, now historically on par with anyone. Yes. Okay. So it, uh, positing that, I think he would be. Yeah, he'd be He'd be very much in the shortlist top five. I just think seven. that... It's, it's always tough, too, because you're talking about different eras in a weird way, like different types of competition. But when you look at Volkanovski, the types of guys he's had to beat, and, you know, going into Rio, I know he's catching Aldo kind of at the tail end, but he goes into Rio to do that, yeah. beats Holloway three times. And Holloway, I mean, those age really well because Holloway has looked good outside of those fights, you know what I mean? Also, so, I think all those run at Bantamweight has to make the Volkanovski win um, not feel like it has an asterisk next to it. Yeah, right? yeah. I agree. So, I mean, it's just, it's it's impressive. I agree with you guys, though. I think this probably will have a feeling of that kind of finality for me. So I guess in the, in the weird, you know, stakes of historical stakes or whatever you want to call this, um, it kind of carries that. Because if he loses, that changes everything. You know what I mean? Well, that, that changes everything. Here's what I love about this fight in a nutshell. Not only is it the last remaining killer that Volkanovski hasn't yet faced or beaten at featherweight, but it's the last remaining name at this weight class that I think we could talk ourselves into. Potent, like we're all going to favor Volkanovski. I think he's the best fighter in the world. We're all going to, you know, yeah. the odds are going to be close, but you're all going to probably lean Volkanovski, right? Yeah. But this is the last remaining guy who you're like outside of a fluke, outside of it going perfect for them, that he might be able to come in here and, and cleanly take the title from Volkanovski, like convincingly come in here and do it. Yeah, he's the last. He's the last Mohegan in that regard, correct? Well, yes and no. I mean, we're recording this at a time where we don't actually know the results of the Ilya Taporia Josh Emmett fight. <laughs> There's always another hammer knocking at the door. There is always another. And that's sort of the interesting part of this. It's like, I got to be honest. I mean, if he loses again, that's that's if, if, sorry, if Volkanovski loses again, the conversation is extremely different. But if he wins, there's a really big question. It's like, would, well, not what he wants, but what would you want for Volkanovski in that case? Would you want him with his time remaining at 35-ish? years of age to be fighting 155 or would you like him to stay at Man. 145 and fight the Taporias and everybody well, else? Well, if it was Taporia, I would love to see that fight. I mean, that's just 
It's, just, it's tantalizing, again, man. I don't, I don't, I, this conversation may be weird because maybe I know. maybe Taporia gets stretched in 30 seconds. <laughs> that but, is true. If but we, assuming if we he wins, assuming he wins yeah. post this conversation, right, right. yeah, I would love to see Volkanovski fight a guy like that. Yeah, I really only would. if it's guys like that. It would have to be those guys that are you know that or, are coming. Oh, no, you know what? What am I saying? I'm actually talking. Uh, no, yes, I would love to see him fight Taporia. But BC, yeah, you can. What would you rather see? Volk versus Taporia again in a world where Taporia wins, or? Volk versus Charles Oliveira. How are we not yeah, like... No, Volk versus the lightweight division is the answer. Yeah. Not just because lightweight's great and there's so many instantly awesome matchups you can make, but I, be, I believe there at some point becomes diminishing returns when you hang around dominating a division too long. You know, when, when you're starting to beat the second tier for the second time right. again, you know, and you're getting rematches just, well, that's the only guy that right. was close enough to you. I'm not saying he's necessarily there yet. And yes, there could be names on the come up like a Tapuria that, well, if he hung around, man, I wouldn't hate that. Fun. Of course, nobody would. But at some point, what else does he have to gain? He beat all every legend he could. He's even trying to get Connor in the ring just yeah. so that there's not one featherweight champion left that he hasn't fought yet yeah, and beat. Crazy. And I think that, you know, obviously there's some elements of that I want to become crazy. I want to get rich and famous in the process in doing that. But that's also I like that. That's him saying, I will round it out. I do think there has to be a point where he says, I've done it. Yeah. And if I think after beating Max the third time, he could have said that. You know what I mean? He could have done that. Yeah. Okay, Yair's the last remaining guy, do that. But he has to move up next. I think his words have echoed that. And I think even more than that, the performance against Mahachev and the fact that he was not swallowed up by the wrestling, beyond the fact that you can argue that he won, beyond that fact, mm -hmm. the fact that he went in there to the man's strength, the wrestling that was dominating everybody and swam with him there, right? And you, that, that shows you more than anything because it does feel like Islam's up here and all the other great lightweights are like right here-ish, right? They're still kind of looking up at his at the talent disparity and in the run he's on. Or you moment. had him side by side just now. <laughs> There's levels to the leveling <laughs> okay, of the okay. levels that I'm doing yeah. here. But dude, yes, it's time. And I think in your in in you have to definitely know when to move, when to make that move. And I think this is the per, uh, you know if it, if anything, it might be even a little bit. The truth too fast. is. I think he adds a dimension to the lightweight division, which would make it fun again. Like, and not that it's not fun, but like well, when you, yeah, I'm about to say again, not like, that it's not that fun, but like a lot of the guys that are at the top in that top six Fading. or seven, have kind of either fade or they've just kind of faced each other. You throw another guy in there, it just kind of throws a new coat of paint on it, right? Like where all of a sudden it's like you got fresh matchups all over the place. So I'd like to see it on that level. So, you know, you think about the Gaethje's and all these guys who are just hovering in that space. You could plug in any of those, and Volkanovski. I mean, it's a fascinating fight, you know. So let's let's posit a scenario where we're not talking about any of this. Let's. I, I want to talk about it from Yair's side in a moment, but first okay. on the Volkanovski side, right? So let's say he loses. Now what? Now what, Chuck? Now where are we? Reshape the landscape for me. You're talking about probably almost certainly an immediate rematch. Right. That's, well, I don't want to say almost certainly. The Max Holloway factor has you can't be overlooked. Dude, it's the number one pound for pound guy in the sport. I get that, but Max true or false <laughs> in the opportunities he's had separate from Volkanovsky in the past few years has looked to be mm. super elite. But he already fought Yair. Right, but it was a great fight and it was close. And if Yair's the champion, I I just feel like if you're UFC, the only way you're ever gonna make Volkanovsky Holloway work again is if Holloway wins the championship and they're running that back with Holloway as the That's champion. So you true. give that... What, what's who the hell would Volkanovski fight waiting for them? He'd have to wait for them or he'd have to take a one-off at lightweight or whatever. Under that scenario, I don't think he stays, is what I'm saying. If he loses to Yair, I think... You think he goes to 55 no matter what? I do. I think it'd be more likely mm -hmm. that he would stay if he loses, not just because he might competitively want to run it back against Yair and there's the That's opportunity of going question. to Mexico and doing that and making it even bigger, but I also don't think you can count out. Just like the UFC could have done with Whitaker. They could have shoved Robert Whitaker in between the two... Uh, 
the, between the two Adesanya versus Poetan fights, but they didn't. I think Holloway's at a different level than Whitaker in, in terms of the hierarchy of the star value and how the UFC perceives him. I do think it's possible that if Yair wins, and it's not, it's not like disputed enough where you're like, I need to see it back right away, that he would get that chance. Because wouldn't that be, again, the only way you can make Volkanovski versus Holloway 4 happen if the company wanted to, you, I don't think you lose is what I'm saying. Giving Max a chance to fight for it next, I don't think there's any way you lose with all those matches. I, I just don't think win. they would. I don't think that. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I see what you're saying for, like, long-term play, but I just feel like if he got upset, they would want to run that I one think, back pretty that's quickly. That's what I think. Happened. Also, because it gets back to these existential questions you had raised. You, you, you were positing before, well, what if he wins? Okay, well, now, what if he loses? What does that mean for him all time at featherweight? That would be kind of bad. That would change. Yeah. That would change the conversation. And certainly for the GOAT. Now, if he rematched against Yair and then got it back, he's still in contention for a lot of these things, but it dramatically shifts the conversation on that level. Still, let's talk about Yair Rodriguez. Takes the shine off, too, if he goes in lightweight on a loss. Right, on a loss, exactly. Yeah. Uh, unless the judge is screwing, which is a yeah. little bit different, but you get the idea. Okay. Well, let's... he used to play rugby at, like, I think 250. I don't know if you've heard this. Yeah. Kilos. Kilos. Okay. Not even pounds anymore. Or gorillas. Um, gentlemen, before I slap you both, um, let's talk about Yair Rodriguez here. Are you as amazed by his turnaround as I am? Well, how amazed are you? I don't, I'm not sure. Scale of 10, I'd say an eight. Solid. I am fairly, I, to be honest. And I mean, I can point out a couple of times where I kind of wrote him off as a guy you wouldn't really consider as a title contender at all, you know? So in that sense, yes. And it's crazy because it feels like he has been around forever. He's a little bit like Max Holloway in the sense like it feels like he's been around forever. He's only 30 years old, you know. He doesn't have nearly the wear and tear as some of the guys. Uh, he hasn't had, you know, a million fights like some of the guys. So I feel like he's got a lot to go. But to put it together as he has and become that guy like now wearing the interim champ. But I'm like to, to get to this point is, yeah, it's surprising to me. We see this occasionally where guys – They've been right under your nose forever, and suddenly they become that guy. Uh, and he's the latest, but, I mean, I never saw it coming. I never saw it coming. BC, give me your best theory as to how Yair got so good at this point. Well, I think it, there's some surface-level comparisons to what happened to Charles Oliveira. It's different, though. There wasn't a second weight class involved. But they both had certain levels of maturity. Look, if you stay, there's so many... You can be a name long before you really figure this game out, right? We've seen that before. Some don't ever quite figure it out. Some do, but it's sometimes when they're like 34 and they get a short season of, oh, are they a quasi-title contender? He's finding it out at the right time. I think it's a combination of maturity. It's a combination of um, getting to a point where you say, no, not only do I need to give 100% to be at my very best, I can't coast anymore in certain categories, but what would it look like if I went all in on every category? I think that's yeah. what happened to Charles Oliveira, and suddenly it was just the mixture of confidence with the right weight class, everything at the right time, learning better things about nutrition and discipline and all that. I think some of that is true with Yair Rodriguez. And I think also he's leaning on his strengths fighting. He's dangerous as shit, not different from Oliveira. He does put himself in dangerous spots, but I think he's also figured out how to just be as efficient and dangerous as possible. Mm -hmm. I mean, he doesn't come in with with wild, ridiculous strikes that leave him open. It's very calculated, but once I think everything came together, that technique gets ramped up when you add the confidence, when you add the, be the better defensive uh, 
you know, uh, realist. The the you just add the full package, mm. dude. It's happening. It's his time. Um, the fl everyone shows flashes. It's those that can finally take the losses, take the setbacks, and put it together. He's put it together. Now, is there a secret underneath that of, as to why? Was there a turning point in his growth as a man? <laughs> I'm not really sure, Luke. I don't look back and say there's. Well, it was that one loss that changed him, right? And for the better, it, he just may have woken up at the right time was, to say, I can't coast anymore. I mean, guys like him, and I don't know this enough to throw that theory out there, but I'm saying at some point people find early success, they kind of start coasting until yeah. they go to realize, oh, wait, to get to that next level, it takes an additional level of, of discipline. He's always been a little nomadic. You remember earlier in his career, he kind of bounced around camps. He would travel around. And some people, I think, I don't know if this was just immaturity, but I think a lot of people thought he kind of had an attitude problem you know like you talk to people who had been around him and he didn't fit and for whatever reason they just, there's just no chemistry i feel like that has changed like he was fighting out in mexico state i think it was the jeremy stevens fight and he was training like up at twelve thousand feet or something like he was and i remember talking to him at that point and you could tell that he was just dedicated in a new way and i and it's hard to actually pinpoint that very thing but it seemed like he was just very very um serious about his craft now and I think that he just wasn't like that before if you talk to him back in his earlier days he was a very young guy and uh, I just don't think he had the the focus yet you know and I think he we, well, I don't know when it happened but it has happened I feel like when you talk to him now it's just he's turned into that guy like he's figured it out my best theory is that there's more pressure put on a young fighter when they are and in his case it was like we're waiting for our first Mexican born superstar we're waiting for the one person yeah. that can lead this movement of this boxing culture rabid boxing culture in Mexico. How do we bring MMA in there? I wonder if that led to so much pressure that you almost start to push that away. You underachieve for a yep. certain season. And once you felt you've outlived that pressure, then you're like, okay, I got through that season now. Let me, let me, yeah. now on my own terms, let me go out there and figure it out. It just so happens that the timing wise, he fits right in the midst of this march of Mexican MMA and the takeover. Takeover slowed by Arine Aldana's performance, true or false? <laughs> Seriously, that, the, true. the momentum of Mexican MMA was slowed by that. Truth. Yeah, oh, that was that whole performance that. was forgettable. I think you were right though about like what the theory is. Uh, to me, he had an offensive system that everyone praised because it was unique, and it yeah. was, and it still yeah. is. Yeah. But it was wild and untamed and uh, unrefined and full of problems. And takedown defense wasn't there even when there was. The guard work wasn't really there on his feet. To your point, BC, leaving it constantly for these high risk jumping switch whatever the fuck and some of them would land some of them wouldn't yeah, right yeah. but like it was inconsistent you go back to that that josh emmett fight dude he was target practice i know i mean everything landed every time nearly and of course he got hit a little bit as well and he took it but nevertheless i think he just understands his own offensive system so much better yeah. and what his assignments are in this position to get to the next one what are we doing what's the goal here he everything like calculated get hit man rather than a video game yes you know yes I mean? everything just seems like he has a clear sense of what to do purpose and he just executes now much much more efficiently which is why i do think this is like a real threat to yeah. volkanovsky like you it's a fun story to see him come this far, but then there's a question of how much you consider him a threat. I would consider him a serious threat, a really yeah. serious threat. Do you? The last serious threat. Yeah. yeah, I do. I do. And I think that that's, we've seen this so many times too. A guy finally gets to this position and there's a guy who looks unbeatable and they get toppled on that sort of thing. It should, the setup is there, but yeah, man, I, I Okanowski think you, has been dropped 
against yes. Mendez. He got dropped against Holloway. I don't think he got dropped against Aldo. He's been oh, dropped. You got dropped by Ortega. Yeah, Ortega. That, that scenario could 100% happen. I mean, because he. I mean. You talking about how uh, he's more measured and just kind of like uh, tamed but, himself but, but down a little ruthless, bit. but yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. but I think that that you, you think about that and how disciplined Volkanovski is, and I was just sitting there thinking about that. That's going to be a very fascinating in the stand-up exchanges and just what they're doing back and forth is going to be fascinating. But dude, I mean, I could see it 100%. Yeah, you're catching him and putting him on skates, and that's it. You know, right. that's just that's a scenario in play, man. And I don't know, I, I don't know what the odds are, but I know that he's. Uh, you know, it's it's a dangerous it's a dangerous proposition. Well, the, the thing that I love about Volkanovski that has been, I think, the wild card in me, because you know, early on there were people that seemed to be ahead of it. You seemed to be ahead of it. Of watch this kind of Volkanovski, like it, it's next level, right? And I, and and I wanted to slow that to some degree. It was it was the way he navigates danger, though the way his the way his body and mind react. You know, Ortega putting him mm. in deep in that joke, mm -hmm. reacts to like you know, clear and present danger that, that came out of nowhere and would overwhelm most people. His ability to swim yeah. through that makes this matchup, I think, even better because Yair can put him there. I mean, look what Yair, in a losing effort, did to Max in those first two rounds, especially that first round, dude. He put it on Max. I thought it took Max just biting down to get through that. Nobody's as dangerous as Yair in this division, but nobody is really as great as operating oh. Operating with poise under pressure, mm -hmm. quite like Volkanovski. I mean, look, it's it's remark. It's maybe not his greatest aspect, but it's as elite as his game planning, footwork, as you know, striking technique, all that stuff is. Dude, that's a real dude under there. That's an absolute you real break dude. Down film on this one already? Not yet, but um, <laughs> but I mean, obviously, I've, I've looked into a lot of Volkanovski's fights. Yeah. Yair's I've been a little bit uh, behind on, but I was just watching the Emmett fight again, and I was like. Dude, he is yeah. like the decision making is so much faster, so much clearer, less risky, but still brutal. Like that was a brutal thing. Yeah, he did to Josh Emmett. So it's like there's a couple times he got he got he got hit, and you wonder about those against a guy like Volkanovski and what he could do more regularly. But um, that version of him against Josh Emmett is just. Jason Voorhees, I mean, marching down <laughs> yeah. almost, really kind of frightening yeah. in a way. Chuck, why don't we call him Y Rod at all? I don't know. I what? Don't know. <laughs> you know, remember after A Rod, anyone with the last name Rodriguez became, yeah. you know, I know, I know Chris Rodriguez, oh, C Rod, my man, you know, yeah. from Bridgeport, That's, but that doesn't roll off the top. Y Rod never happened. Is that, you think there's uh, something to that? You can call him Yair Rod, but that's that's really starting to get a little specific, isn't it? <laughs> it's getting weird too. Um, getting a little bit weird. Uh, you know, you mentioned you that out of Yair. Yeah. you mentioned that Aldana losing slowed the Mexican thing. You know, it's three gringos who have our finger on the pulse of what Latinos in this country think. One hundred percent. Or in Mexico, uh, do we have any sense of? I mean, I feel like Mexican MMA has kind of already arrived. They've got Grasso as a champ. Yep. Moreno's on his car. We'll talk about him in a second. He's a champ. Obviously, this is an interim title, but, um, you know, what does yeah, it but really... if he becomes the full champion against the number one guy in the world, this reactivates Oh, yes, you know what? You're right. To your point. 10, yes, you know? yes, to your point. He'd be beating the number one guy in the world. That would be a new level of excellence for Mexican MMA, I do feel like. Yeah. 100%. It, it could be a very big Tell me night. about Mexican MMA, Chuck. We as, <laughs> as, as noteworthy experts that we are. I uh, have been to Mexico City. It's a nice stuff. Yeah, uh, I've never been. I heard, I heard good things. You never city. heard a thing called sea level Chuck before? Neither have I, right? Yeah, yeah. No, sea level Canyon. I, I do think that this, oh, would be the, this would be the moment, though. Chuck I would really shoot first, this. too, though, just so you know. Um, <laughs> I mean. And if they both win, if Moreno's able to win, I mean, 
Which it bit, sets what, up a it sets up a pretty big momentum for the country if they want to have an event down did there. Did you did you go to one? You went to Mexico City. I went for down for the uh, Yair's fight with uh, Steven Switch ended. Remember Were it was they like throwing a, the shit in the ring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was wild. Was that Kane Verdum night? No. Which no. was the main event that night? That was the main event. Was that, that was the one where, like, was, a, was that the one where Yair, like, post-fight, like, screamed at Michael Bisping? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Yeah. That was a weird one. It was a very strange atmosphere. Um, it was fun. It was cool to be in the city. But I, I tell you what, man, just being down there and seeing the pop that he got, I, you, I can imagine if they if he wins this title and he goes down there, it's going to be big. You know, he get, he got a, he has a lot of fans down there. So And Moreno, too. I mean, I, I get the sense. I, I haven't seen him... Uh, Actually, was he on that card? I don't forget now. But anyway, I know that like he's a huge star even in the states. So right. he goes down there, man. I, I do feel like that would be the the moment where Mexican MMA is here. You know? Yeah. Being the maybe maybe one. the Grasso moment was the setup for this moment in terms of their arc. Well, it's kind of funny you say that because it takes us to the co-main event, which is Brandon Moreno taking yeah. on Alexandre Pantoja. And what's kind of funny about that is like some of the things you want to say about Yair, Moreno's already done. So for example. Right, Yair was cut from the organization. If he comes back and he beats Volkanovski, wow, it's like going from cut to becoming the champion. But it's like Moreno already <laughs> did that shit, and he's True. on the second lap of it here a little bit. Like, what role does he play? I mean, yes, he's the co-main event on this card, uh, Chuck, but in this giant sort of Mexican MMA slash international fight week, I feel like no one's really right. like everyone's very respectful of the co-main, yeah. but I don't hear anyone right. like jazzed for it, even though it's a very good <laughs> it's going to be a great fight. reiterated I mean, fight. It's the third meeting between these two. You'd think these that guys. the backstory would matter here, you know, just the fact that um, Pandoja has a victory over Moreno. Two of them. Oh, yeah. The Ultimate Fighter and That's in right. 2018. And I mean, but you think that this would be a larger story, but for some reason it hasn't been, and it's it's kind of strange, man. In the same way we're talking about Volkanovski being an unsung guy for his role, I feel like Moreno's sort of there, too. I personally didn't think he would get by Figueredo in that series. I didn't know they would fight that many times, but just I thought Figueredo would be kind of stationed there for a while. And uh, he looked better and better through that series. So I think that this is one of those fights where you like, you get, I think that he becomes out more like the people who haven't been paying attention, I think will see him more in this light and he'll get some of that shine. But it's, in terms of like, what were you asking, like in the Mexican MMA, like if he's going to, in the grand scheme? Well, also it's just a, a weird situation because you're talking about this fight. I think I agree with everything you're saying. It's just weird. Not on, there's plenty of enthusiasm yeah. for Brandon Moreno. There's just none on the Pantoja side. That's the issue, right? Yeah, it's really it's weird. Re even well, though they have all of this. I wonder, I want to ask a yeah. question about the momentum of Brandon uh, Moreno's star and what that means to Mexican MMA. Obviously, he's beloved and respected, and he perseveres through getting cut, perseveres through losing the title, but has the fact that he's had four episodes against Figueredo, flip-flopping a bit, winning it back, and now a third fight against Pantoja. Yeah. Does that... He's the hold. Rose Namajunas of right. Yeah, does, yeah, but yeah, I'm saying like, like it shows his resiliency, but does it hold back his star potential because it's not a sustained reign? It's not what DC, I'm sorry, what DJ established and then yeah, Cejudo man. took over, but then left early. It's sort of this, you know, a lot of I mean, there's a lot of parody. The the post Cejudo DJ run in this division, which I guess they say Mick Maynard is the matchmaking mm -hmm. key for really keeping this division alive and aggressively matching these guys. They've all fought each other two, three times. They've beaten each other. I mean, it's it's great, but I do wonder if that's slowed him from the full ascendation so. of the star. I think so. Because, you, you know, ascendancy. This ascendation is more of an East Coast, uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I think that when uh, sometimes you get an impression in MMA especially, I guess all combat sports, where you kind of peg a guy like you're like, all right, he's he's who he is. And then when they rise above that, 
you still kind of see him the first way. This happens all the time. I feel like his first impressions were not, not really that impressive, you know? So I think that some of that is still there, but yeah. I, it was eye-opening for me to watch him in that whole series. And not just that, I feel like he, you know, he's an interesting guy in the terms of like, you know, Le you know Legos and all the things he's yeah. into, like, and he's, he's just his own guy. So I thought he handles, he handles himself pretty well in terms of with the microphone and all that stuff. So he has some charisma and all that. Oh, he's a broadcaster it's, on the Spanish side for the UFC and like yeah. a pop, very popular. It's just, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's like, but I, I feel like you're right. It's, uh, there's not like a buzz around his name when he fights though. And it's, and, uh, and of course, like, even if he were to persevere here and do really well, like no one is going to be in that converse. There's like not a larger right. narrative about the fight. That's the problem, right? In the in the main event, hey, is Volkanovski going to 155? Right. It's the best yes. fighter on earth. What does it mean for his legacy? Here, it's like even if Moreno wins, we're not going to be talking about him in the same respect with DJ. Sure. You have such a you have such That's a long way to go to match DJ or anything even close to it. So it's like really good. It's really commendable. But you're talking about a level of excellence that's just impossible for him to match up to. <laughs> but, but on the slide, Chuck, is Pantoja more dangerous to the title that Moreno holds, or is Yair more dangerous to the title? I think that Yair. I mean, he just looks so good, man. Pantoja's a finisher, though. That dude. is true. He's, He's nicknamed the cannibal. He, here, here's the problem with the Pantoja. He's on the, <laughs> the three-fight win streak. His last loss was to Askar Askarov, which was slightly disputed, but not really. I went back and I watched yeah. that. It was, I thought, I thought um, Askarov won. And, you know, he's had a, like some like the problem with his record is it's it's impressive, but not overly yeah. so like he beat Manel Cop. I mean, this whole division like just resets. You go to the top, no, you lose, you come is. back he down. Did, but his losses, while not disqualifying, have certainly made you think, well, he's just a step short of the elite. Right. He's very, very good. See, I think he's just dark horse potential. You've never been dissuaded by any of his losses. Maybe it's because of this parody of this division. Have I been dissuaded by the Moreno losses? No, he finds a way to persevere and come back and show a deeper level of his game. Only 33 for Pantoja, by the yeah, way. Yeah, and if he's already beaten Moreno twice and has that confidence level. We'll see. And this okay, so let's talk about those wins. So the first one was the ultimate fighter. He subs him in the second round. It was, you know, Moreno Moreno didn't look like he had any idea what he, what the fuck he was doing. <laughs> I mean, he shouldn't even been in the UFC at that point, candidly. And the second one takes place. Moreno was 24 years old. Mm -hmm. It was in 2018. And Pantoja beat the shit out of him. I mean, they, I mean, there was a couple times I thought he was going to stop him, and he wins, and that's over. So he goes from not getting finished, sorry, sorry, to getting finished to not getting finished to here where we are today. Here's the thing, though. It's been five years since that mm -hmm. fight. And just be honest, who has gotten better in the last five years from that point, Pantoja or Moreno? Okay. It's Moreno with a yeah. bullet. Yes. While that's true, yes. But Pantoja on a three-fight win streak against good names, and he's beaten the champion twice. And uh, I don't know. I just I feel like he has more of a chance even than than really? Yair does against Volkanov. He's one of the best back attackers. He's got really impressive back attacks. I, mean, I think it was the end of the first or second round of the second fight. He just jumps on Moreno's back standing and still manages to clamp a leg yeah. over the arm. Like very impressive back taker uh, and an okay striker, but not like I feel like dude. I feel like Moreno didn't just get better with the Figueredo series. I feel like he grew up. I yeah. feel like he had like almost a little bit what you got from Volkanovski against Holloway, where it was like one of these guys is going to have to turn the corner here See, I and don't it put feel into like overdrive, has. and I feel like Moreno did okay, that. Okay, let's debate this. Man. I don't feel like Moreno has turned that corner. I feel like Word? this division has so much parity, and I love what Moreno's done. I love the adjustments he's made within the series against Figueredo to end up with the title. Love all of that. I just think they're all at roughly the same level. I felt the same thing about Askar Askarov, who lost and then is now out of the organization. <laughs> I think Kaikar France is like that close 
coast, right? From being in, that is true. you know, I mean, like they're all kind of right there. I don't feel like Moreno has made enough of a statement of separation that this is now his time and he's building a reign. I think this is still hot potato and all of these guys, and Brandon Royville, all of these guys at the top can have, I mean, Royville got submitted by Pantoja because that's what happens in this division. It's very interesting. Royville also takes a lot of risks. Um, I mean, because he, he's the raw dog. Because he's just raw dog and he's People home. where I come from, they do a lot of raw dog and they live their life by the risk, <laughs> yeah, okay? The live and die uh, by the sword and the I'm old, not talking about the... The, 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 the old know. rhythm method. Yeah. <laughs> We're talking about different kinds of pump and dump schemes, not crypto, you know what I'm saying? Wow. Do you think Moreno, wow. like, wow. The, you know, having faced him, obviously, like, he got better in the Figueredo series, figured him out through through the process, but, like... Can he do that with this? I mean, that's the that isn't that the question? Like, how does he? He's already shown that, like, against top rivals, he has the ability to. Um, to so weird because them. It's just that that one, those ones all happen in close succession. Yeah. This one's happening in slow motion. Who's he lapping, though? He's he's getting. So here's the thing. I mean, I don't. I, I agree in the sense that Moreno doesn't have like a DJ level hold yes. on the division. Of course not. Uh, but and I and I sort of grant what BC is saying, which is that like on any given night. Could anyone in that top five win? Yeah, they probably could, mm -hmm. right? They probably could. Nevertheless, I do feel like Moreno is better than them. Okay, but if you made a pound-for-pound pound list of reigning champions in the UFC uh, men's side, I guess it would be a safer, more fair debate. He's what, worst or second worst, right? In terms of their pound-for-pound pound level ability. Um, of yes, that is correct, I think. Who would have in the worst on the men's side, Jamal Hill? You would argue Jamal Hill who, only because of lack of, like, you know, like, I mean, he, yeah, he, just he got, got the opportunity. He, got he took advantage of the opportunity. No, but in fairness to Jamal Hill, we're just saying he hasn't, he hasn't even defended right, it right. yet. Right. Um, fuck. I mean, I do, I still vote pound for pound and handle CBSs. So I find myself having Moreno either at like right, somewhere point. between 10 and 12 at all Pretty times, fair, usually way. dictated by other people coming in and out, whether yeah. he gets back in. You know? It's also a sense of the division as well. Like, how would you rank the divisions irrespective of the champion? You probably would put it. The, the, Flyweight has made an incredible rebound since it's near bloodletting days. Remember that? Yes. When the black play came through and just wiped out <laughs> half of the division? Yeah, but dude, like anyone can win any night, and that is exciting, though. So while this yeah. is not... So do uh, you favor Moreno to win? Yes, but I think this... I think all the title fights right now among these guys are 50-50. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that, that series with Figueredo kind of proved that to some degree, although the first fight to draw, but... Uh, the flyweight division would be kind of... I mean, the, and, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't say that to, to criticize the division. I love what Mick Maynard yeah. has done. I love the fact that these fights are just killer, high-paced, incredible fights. I just don't think Brandon Moreno has done enough to separate himself yet. This would be a great victory, especially a guy who beat him twice already. This would be a great victory to go in that direction. But I think this, I don't know what the odds are again, but I think this is a flip of coin to find out what happens, especially against Chuck. a guy who has the history, the mental advantage of, he finished him. Sure, True. sure. I mean, we we could also be doing the whole barista Daniel Cormier, Patrick Cummins, Patrick Cummins oh bit, where I it's like this guy made him cry in practice, and I then DC fucked yeah. him up. I miss those days. But also, here's another part too. Here's, here's another story that we're kind of missing here. It doesn't really matter in the main event, but it does in the co-main, which is what about a Brazilian champion? Now with Amanda Nunes since retiring, by the way, um, the you know the the thing on uh, Twitter, the fighter roster. Yeah, she got removed. She's off of yeah. it now. So uh, there isn't a Brazilian champion.
Wow. Right? So is it really not in any form in the UFC? There's not. A- go through the go through the weight class. Yeah, that's so. True. You have Moreno at 125. You have at 135. You have who's the 135 punch? My brain's not working. Uh, Aljamain. Yeah. 145 is Volk. 155 yeah. is Makachev. 170. Um, You're right, Glover lost Leon. the belt. Leon, sorry, what am I doing? And then 185 is Izzy back again. And the it champion was, was had a, it was the champion had a name, and it was Charles Oliveira. Right, but, but now it's like 205. It's Jamal Hill, heavyweight. It's John Jones, and then in the women's side, it's okay. Rosso so and then blah blah blah. As wow. Mexican MMA seems crazy, on yeah, the verge of having its most incredible stretch of all time, Pantoja is the least. The, the least amount of fanfare that's, at the moment yes, of, a, totally. of a truly elite title contending, that's, maybe outside of Tyler Santos, who you could argue should have won the title that night. But yeah, this would be an interesting opportunity to start a new where run. Where does that division go if it's Pantoja, man? It's just <sighs> more rematches. Yeah, I know the, more rematches. Into a fourth Moreno fight, probably, or yeah, more just, rematches. It would be kind of a mess, honestly. Man. <laughs> I mean, it might be, it might be Royville. He's put together yeah. a nice streak. He might actually right. get it next. That's true. But also, just for Brazil's sake, to get a champion back, I think would be. I mean, the Brazil produces so much talent. Yeah. You never really worry about them being out of it. But it is strange that on the men's and women's side, really as we speak that. today, yeah. not a champion I when from Brazil. The last time that happened was. I feel like it's been a while, dude. Yeah. I feel like it's been a while. I feel like there's always a Brazilian champion. I mean, Silva reigned for so long. Yeah. You know, I mean, God. The Baron, you know? Huh? The Baron? The Baron, bro. Then you sort of fucked all that shit up. Dude, you sort of ruined his career, Barra, right? That's what Faber told me. Never got that jacket. That was the issue. That's changed everything (laughs) for people who've gotten it. Oh. Um, Any other thoughts on this co-main as terms of, like, things that matter about it to you? I don't think anything else matters about it. Yeah. That's it. It's a little light on that regard, isn't it? That's what I'm saying. This is a fight that will entertain. It will sort of take us, you know, further down the road on who's the real best fighter in this division, yet is not going to get anybody to buy the card or show up for the most part for it being there. I will say this before we move on from it. The two Mexican fighters in the main and co-main, I was talking to some folks who are Mexican uh, combat sports journalists, and they were telling me, and we, we know this anyway on the boxing side, I just feel like I haven't seen it as much on the MMA mm-hmm. side, BC. So, for example, in January, BC, where and I were in Las Vegas for the uh, Caleb Plant-David Benavidez mm-hmm. fight. Dude, the Mexican fans for David Benavidez, like, of course they come out for Canelo. I thought I thought it was going to be, like, a lot less. Dude, like, they were they they were yeah. there for him. That was Big March. time. Huh? That was March. March. What am I saying? January. Sorry. It was three months ago. Um, but the point I'm trying to make is I couldn't believe how ready they were. Right? You're right, though, about the box. I haven't seen it yet in MMA So either. this is what I'm yeah. saying. Like, And they were saying like the Mexican fans apparently don't in any way mind traveling to Las Vegas. They like yeah. it. So I do think it's good. Like, I mean, again, we've been talking about like International Fight Week. Does it have a Connor? No, it doesn't. Right. But I think it is smart of them oh, to sure. go to places like this, cultivate these yeah. fan bases, work Just on like that. The talk of the Grasso Shevchenko rematch in September, maybe being on free exactly, TV. And, yeah. and exactly what I'm talking in Las about. Vegas in, during Mexican Independence Day weekend. Uh, no, the Colmain we put to bed. Now it's time to find out. Who's is, the real African champion? Exactly. Oh, is this just the setup? Is this the is Whitaker versus Duplessis the Christmas Eve to Christmas morning, which is an all African? I don't showdown. know if this fight. I don't know what this fight is going to be. So you indicated it. One eighty-five pound fight. Title shot has to be right. Has yes, to be I for that so. one. Uncle Dana said yes. And frankly, in, we'll talk about what happens in either direction. I actually think you get something kind of interesting for very different reasons. So here comes Drickus Duplessis, who. <laughs> Apparently couldn't breathe through his nose. I didn't know. And had to get surgery, and now he can breathe again. That's a great. man after your own nasal pipes, right? Hey, listen. Our producer, Mikey's dog, snores like a motherfucker on those Zoom calls. Can you imagine Drickus snoring? 
He must sound like a goddamn <laughs> walrus fucking a chainsaw. It must be unbelievable. Oh, that'd All right. Be, that'd, be, that'd, that'd be some serious coitus right there. Yes. Right? So here's my point. He is, I mean, what do you want to say about Drickus, Chuck? He's a goofball, right? You have in Robert Whitaker, the gentleman of the game who is like renowned for his precise technique and high fight IQ. And here comes Drickus. Like the Dukes of Hazard, <laughs> right? Shooting through with the General Lee, waiting on Boss Hog to catch him. And yet he's like like the Dukes of Hazard. He keeps winning. I know. Talk to me about Drickus Duplessis. What is his what how did he get here? Well, plotting forward and throwing bombs, man. That's Yeah, but I wanna I wanna actually talk about how he got here because Chuck, how he got here Okay was, that Darren Till fight was, was weird. Was submitting was Darren weird. Till and stopping an older Derek Brunson. I Okay, with so, the Brunson fight, also weird. So my point is, Chuck, I don't want you to just answer his question. I want you to answer mine. All right. Is Drickus Duplessis worthy of a number one contender fight right now when he beat Darren Till and Derek Brunson? Well, only because Izzy has cleaned out so much of the other side. You know, it's just the new blood. But honestly, man, he doesn't play a lot of defense. It just seems like this is this is where like the hype would go to die, right? Like you go against a guy like Whitaker who's only lost to one guy in the last nine years. You know what I mean? It's like this is the this is the 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 matchup. And in that way, it kind of it it. I love the fight. I love the idea of it. But the fact that you're going to kill off possibly one of the guys who could be the fresh yes. blood in that division kind of sucks, doesn't it? I'm like I would rather that they, especially because they have such a feud. I'm talking about Izzy with uh you know Duplessis like. To me, that would be some dark matter. Like but the feud into, sucks, to be fair, be, though. <laughs> what is the feud? The feud is you some... You say that as somebody who is jealous they can't be the first African champion. Yeah, I mean, the, <laughs> you know, I always made the comparison to the Larry Holmes-Jerry Cooney uh, oh my God. heavyweight title fight that we look back was a Very relevant comparison that all no, Gen but the Zers point was, When you look back that. to that early 80s showdown, it was all about race to a oh, gross level that. of Cooney being the great white hype against, you know, and all that. And that was like what everybody leaned into to sell it. And now we look back on that and we cringe as shit. Yeah. He's is Duplessis only in this spot because he made the African champion comment and that pissed off? Like, well, here's the thing: South African MMA has been on the map for a little while. They've had a few guys come out of there. Don Madge is another one. Uh, he's had some ups and downs, but you know, Trevor Prangley came from South mm -hmm. Africa many, many years ago. JP Bays, can we put a little bit of fair enough? There? They've always had a little bit of a contingency down there, and I think that that's a market that UFC has not really looked at as like. Hey, we could blow it up, but I definitely think they want to do more that they want to mm -hmm. cultivate on the African continent. South Africa appears to be ready to okay, go in that way. Yeah. Hear this out. This is supposed to be Sean Strickland. They wanted him to be the to, to be the next fighter to fight Izzy. It didn't work out. He suffered losses at wrong times. They're trying to just find the the next name they can fast track. That's but all it is. what was it? But what name is it supposed to be if it's not one of these two? I'll, being... Okay, I'm ready for you. Ready for this? Yes. Hamza Chimaev. This he should either be fighting Izzy. He has, he has no oh, top ten wins, top fifteen here's wins my at one eighty five. Here's my opinion. That Even with him <laughs> missing weight against Nate, and it and there's a lot of weirdness with that. Okay, conspiratorial or not, there's just a lot of unexplained weirdness as to why Here he missed we go. weight. The Rothschilds were there. You're either going to penalize him for that or you're not. UFC doesn't seem to penalize people that they like and that right. they want to do big things behind. Even after threatening that Amanda Nunes would never headline again after she, you know, didn't fight uh, Valentine for the second time. Uh, again, like, but so my point is, okay, you, they want him to stay at middleweight. So why is he not fighting either Adesanya on July 8th for the title or Whitaker for the chance to fight for the title? Why is it Duplessis who doesn't even earn it? Is it so that I'm you sorry, how has... Okay, I'm not a Duplessis, like... 
truther. Truther. <laughs> but, I mean, he's earned it yeah. way more than Hamza right, Chimaev. Right, but Chimaev has a next-level aura and hype around him. Okay, so just, so, just, earned, just so I understand Hold on, you. no. That he earned through, in my opinion, that, that Chimaev earned through the pandemic by being willing and able and fighting three times in succession and winning a fight at welterweight, then middleweight, and just dominating. And then what he did to the to okay. Lee Young Leong and just dropping him in front of Dana. Yeah. He did the things you need to do to show that I'm that next dude. So I see, these my, are vibes. You're literally arguing he has an aura we should give him a title shot based on. He doesn't five. have an aura. He drives. Uh -oh. Do you remember the head of that Gilbert fight when we were when we interviewed Gilbert Diaz and it did stupid numbers because yeah. of the Chimaev factor? Yes. I'm not saying Chimaev's reputation and aura and hype isn't damaged by missing the weight, but he, then he did go out there against Kevin Holland and beat him in like six seconds. My whole point is, you're either going to hold it against him or not. If you're not, why is he not being inserted directly into this? Thing? I wouldn't mind the argument that he would be on the card fighting someone else interesting, and then you have a couple choices. Yeah. But just. You know, just I mean, that fight, though, if, if they make that fight at some point, but it's it sounds like you hate fight. this fight. Like, I mean, I you, hate this fight. Do you only fight. hate this fight because Chemayev is waiting in the wings? Also, there could be some visa issues. Who knows about I'll that? I'll give part. you everything I hate about this fight. Tell me right now. I hate this fight because if Duplessis wins, uh, hey man, if he beats Whitaker straight up, dude, will he have that. earned it? Yes. <laughs> but I but I feel like you're only fast-tracking him because you want this African theme and maybe you want to put the fight in Africa in some form. And again, I think it's weird with all that race side of it. The other thing is you're then, in my opinion, based on how I perceive this fight from an odd standpoint, just serving him up to Whitaker to what? Set up the fourth Whit or the third Whitaker Adesanya fight. Now look, nobody loves Whitaker more than me, and I thought he actually beat Adesanya in the rematch, so I'm not going to hate that. But if you're the UFC, that's not a matchup that's fresh. Would they love it in the oceanic world? So I'm sure, but isn't Chamayev that next big thing that's coming? So why are you not, to there, your there point, might be a visa thing. have him on this it, card or whatever to just build toward that yeah. being next? That that I agree with. Putting him on, put not putting him on this card for whatever reason is really holding it back, holding potentially a middleweight title shot back in a more interesting direction. My only thing is, I would even mind if they fast track Chamayev to the top ten for a matchup. Yeah. I need to see him beat someone between five and seven. Before I can be like title shot, I mean I just, I just feel need like to when see Izzy it. came back and knocked out Poetan and did that, isn't that time to go to two hundred five? Probably. He's like he's Probably. like what well, we're talking about Volkanovski. If he gets by Yair, what else do you have to accomplish? I know you could beat a Toporia who might be next. Mm. There's always going to be somebody that's next. If you're Adesanya, and then Poetan already moved up to two hundred five, I don't know why. Unless Adesanya looks at the landscape and goes, well, I would like Whitaker again. That'd be big money in in Australia. Maybe yeah. it would be, but. Why doesn't he just move up and then suddenly we have the build of Whitaker maybe versus so you don't like for the title? I want to follow on. Normally, I don't want to hear a thing BC has to yeah. say, but today I'm actually no, he's feeling great. It's good. You know, I'm feeling a little frisky. So, okay, so you think the, the the African thing that Drickus has brought up? It's it's been him bringing it up. Like the UFC, to my knowledge, yet. Because we know, like you know, they took the dolly thing and they just turned it into a, like a sales angle. So it's not like <laughs> it's not like it's it's all beyond them to, Sorry, to, to do that. Sorry, Ray eye socket. Yeah, we can't yeah. help you at the moment. Yeah, you know? so it's not like it's beyond them to do this kind of thing. But they haven't done it yet, to my knowledge. So what is your concern? Your concern is that. If Drickus wins, first of all, he would break the hearts of every Robert Whitaker fan across the, the world. I mean, it'd be a hell of a win. It would be a yeah, because dude, there's no way yeah, he's gonna win normally. Away. He's right in the eight ball for a long time if he dude, loses. Like Hansa, like, Drickus Duplessis is not gonna win normally. He's gonna go for a yeah. suplex, fail, but then Whitaker goes face first into the canvas and like <laughs> yeah, yeah. breaks his neck or some <laughs> shit, you know. But my point is this: if Drickus brings it up, why is that 
yes, I don't like it either, BC, because it's like, what does it mean to be African? It's like, well, there's lots of like Moroccans are Africans, and so are you know the Sudanese, right. and it's it's a it's a very diverse kind of thing to be in a way. Are you worried that like the UFC is gonna like run with that angle as well and make it like, hey, who's the real? Yes. Race winner here. I'm not like waiting up at night worrying about it. I just think that you're fast tracking Drickus for what? For a for an all African race bowl that is just gonna get <laughs> it's just gonna get so weird. I mean, we have to get Matt Damon out and refilm that rugby movie with Volkanovski in the starring role. Maybe I don't know. Yeah. It's just gross and weird. So I'm like, I wonder if it was you, the white rugby players who killed apartheid. I just remember. I that. wonder if the UFC wants Adesanya to go to 205, but he's like, I'd kind of like to finish it off, maybe Strickland, maybe, and they go, well, how about this? We'll see. We can, we can fast-track him in there. I mean, right, probably because he looks at it as I know a, a one-sided win, but mm -hmm. yet would be a little bit of hype. I mean, I think Adesanya is a good businessman. He wants some hype ahead of his fights. He knows Duplessis would be a hype fight. Maybe that's what they're saying, okay, but we have to give him to Whitaker. It's not likely to happen, but here's your chance. If Whitaker wins, we're going to come back to you and say, do you want to do this trilogy or do you want to go to 205? I just feel like let's solve it now. You go to 205, let's get Whitaker, who has already deserved it, five times over, put him in the vacant title shot, but against two is the question. Would you hate Hamza? <laughs> would you hate Hamza? I wouldn't. I mean, you know. That would be a horrible um, fight, too. I still wouldn't love that, but I'd be much more accepting. I mean, again, if Hamza beat Whitaker, how could you how could you deny him, right? Yeah. Okay, what is this conversation? How does this conversation change that we're having right now if Bo Nickel, who is, <laughs> what, making his UFC debut or is it second? Second, second one. Second yeah. fight against Trayshawn Gore. Trayshawn Gore. He already to, beat Jamie Pickett. To open yeah. this card... What if Bo Nickel does that, I take you down right away and submit you within the first 90 seconds? Are we having stupid fast-track conversations instead of about Duplicy and Chemayev and now about Nickel, or is it still further away? Dude, how the fuck is Bo Nickel going to beat Treshawn Gore in a way that is more impressive to you than in this eventuality? Drickus Duplessis beating Robert Whitaker. I, again, that is a that, is, that just sounds insane okay, to say. On Morning Combat, a couple days before we shot this, what chances are you giving Duplessis of winning that? And I told you, I'm not. Ten out of ten, I'm picking Whitaker. Am I crazy? Just put me That's in my place. That's the way it should go. I'd go. I go. I go. No, I go nine out of ten. Whitaker. You're going 10 out of 10. You're just you're expecting some yeah. kind of chaos to take place in there. Dude, he is the That's agent what I'm saying, man. He is the agent of it. That is the that is what he does. He like you watch the tape on him and you can see he's athletic, you can see he's strong. You know, but he's he fights like a goof. Like I don't know how else to say it, you know. It's and plotting and and weird crazy. and like he has to work out of bad positions and like he like he, you know what really saves him and I mean this obviously aside from being athletic and like a good size for the weight class, he's just headstrong. He's yeah. just absolutely not in any way not He's just, all he's there to do is just commit to whatever the assignment is. And so I think that really carries him pretty far. I don't think that should carry him past a guy as good as Whitaker. But if it does, you're like, well, fuck. I mean. <laughs> well, they, they, if we're operating under the pretense that maybe Izzy is hanging around looking for one-off fights, what if Whitaker does beat Duplessis, but then UFC goes, all right, instead of necessarily putting you back in there for a third time against Adesanya, we put you against Chemayev, and that's why I was opening the door to the Bo Nickel conversation. Win or lose, win in two seconds or not, you think Bo Nickel's going to need and deserve two, two more fights after yeah. this if he keeps yeah. doing Bo Nickel things, right? The problem is the name value, not just the name value, but the value in beating Robert Whitaker is so profoundly yeah. greater than beating Treshawn Gore. It just is. Um, which doesn't mean that one is easy. Or that, that's not what I'm saying. See, but. though. What happens with if Bonico goes like through Gore quickly again and then like, grabs the mic? It will be and then says Adesanya. So he is very polished. Dude, with what this if he does thing. that? That's all I'm saying. You UFC likes to react. He to has right now, I think, one round and like 15 seconds of total pro experience. Like 
So it's like that would be fast tracking to some yes. level that we've never. But that would seen, be the point you know? of doing it. Right. You would do that only for the point of like, let's make this a thing, right? He looks, he says he's ready. Let's make this a thing. It will be interesting, man. I'm like, I thought it was like him on the card talking about Bo Nickel is an interesting wrinkle to this because I do feel like, in part, you're saying like, you know, is he, who's is he going to fight? Are we t exhausted by the whole Whitaker idea? And who's out there? And those types of names are the ones that come to mind, right? Even though they're far, they're a little ways off. Those are the exciting fights. Like you're starting to think of the guys that are coming up mm -hmm. into that conversation, and I think that that's what makes it fun. Do Do you believe that they reward Izzy in some regard? Remember when he wanted to fight Ro Yoel Romero at a time that Romero really hadn't earned it because he had lost yeah. so many in a row, and UFC went, "Well, the, the champ wants it. It's a dangerous fight. Let's give yes. it to him." Yeah. That you know, would be interesting too. He's and made you that never claim know. about Drickus, and now Drickus is fighting Whitaker. What if Bonacle finishes him quick, gets on the mic, does the Izzy thing, and then Izzy's on Twitter going, "All right, big guy, maybe that's the one that." That's oh, a great Izzy, but Izzy wants that Drickus fight so bad. I know. I think I he would. Love Izzy's it. a hor. I mean, Whitaker's a horrible fight for Drickus. So is Izzy. Izzy and Whitaker should both be like really bad fights. Yeah. For Duplessis, but they would be big fights too. I guess there's really no else. It would be so tough though if you're Izzy. You've already beat Whitaker. And I mean, like one of them obviously being very like close, but like when you look at that to have to beat a guy again, I just think that that's the hardest position to be in. Like you're trying to protect something that the guy keeps coming for and you got to keep patting him down. I mean, that's just, that's got to be the toughest thing. That's brutal. Now I, I do have to discuss it before we move on, which is okay. But what if Whitaker loses? <laughs> like, no, I don't mean on the Drickus side. I mean, on the Whitaker side, it's, that would be devastating it would for be. his career be because there's at least an assumption that he'll get another fight for right. a title, right? There's at least that. But if you take that away, right, you're like, oh, no, oh well, what? now where are we? I know. Well, he's not dead. It'd be a really bad no, loss but it would be, the moment. Dude, that would be the worst loss of his career I by a million I still think miles. it would be dependent upon Adesanya's future because if Adesanya makes the decision to move up, suddenly UFC's like, well, Whitaker's got to be our leading candidate to be in some type of uh, you know, fight. Obviously not right after if he had lost to... Are we going to call him DDP? Are we really going to do the, the everyone's, I mean, all the, the, all the people that, you know, the, the MMA old guard of journalists who go to every show still like those guys, they all call him DDP. They call him DDP. Yeah. When I think DDP, I think of this, right? A vagina? I don't know. What are you doing? Vagine? Let me, let me look through it to, to, to oh, talk. The Illuminati thing? What no, it's that? the Diamond Dallas Page thing that Jay-Z started <laughs> oh, doing for Is that Illuminati. The yoga? It's the diamond cutter. Yeah. DDP. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but are we really going to uh, first reference now? He's the dude from the yoga. He's not. That's what I know him he's from. He's not Diamond Dallas Page, former WCW champion. <laughs> yeah, uh, I know him AWA from AWA manager. Hey, dude, I'll, I'll tell you what. His wrestling highlights, to what, to what extent, they don't show up on my timeline. His yoga shit, I see all the time. Okay. The yoga shit is relevant, bro. <laughs> Don't think it's not. Do you think the UFC actually wants Adesanya Whitaker three? I uh, or would still put muscle behind and still go for it. If they it. put it back in Australia, yeah. 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 It'd be a big fight in Australia. Okay. Okay. Here though, I I mean, that'd be the weird part. It's like, hey, we've got Izzy versus Whitaker much. three. It's gonna be in Tachi Palace. You'd be like, what no, the fuck? One. They owe Tachi Palace. Yeah, well, they, 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 they try, they <laughs> for life. For life. But I'm saying, like, imagine they put it in like Portland. You'd be like, why the I know. fuck are we in Portland? No, this it'd have be in to be out there. Canberra. It would have to be out there. Um, but man, if he loses, if he loses, I think you're right. That's it's about as devastating of a loss you can take and not lose the belt, right? Because you're losing the the chance to even be in that conversation. It's like, it's like a reputational like, loss. Yeah, because yeah. he's already behind the eight ball, just trying to get that shot. You know. So all right, if if DDP wins, do we do the Adesanya fight at Sun City, or what? <laughs> That's uh, such an early 80s joke. It's like nobody picked it up. Put, that's a great question. Where do you put 
And either, no matter who wins that fight, yeah. is the real African champion still Francis Ngannou? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> no, seriously. Uh, maybe. Maybe. Well, I, I mean, I don't know if we get, I don't know if three guys in their 40s get to decide who the actual African <laughs> champion is. Uh, that seems to be beyond our purview. But um, where would you put that fight? Golly, dude. The, I don't know. The pyramids. Huh? The pyramids. No, could you, you could put it in South Africa. But if it's the champion. I wanted to go there, but. I mean, so, they've mentioned it. Dana White has mentioned it for years, but yeah. it's never If done. your wife suddenly said, I want to go to Africa for our next vacation, what country would you try to lean her towards? Probably Morocco. Chad? Probably Morocco. Most amount of white people? Uh, I don't Morocco, know if they identify Morocco as white. Would be cool. That seems a little... It, it's not all Casablanca. I don't know if you know that or not, no, right? right? Why not right. Tunisia, man? You go see uh, Tatooine. Yeah, we could go to. We you know, you to... can stay, and it's a hotel. The the the. Uh, oh, that's right. It is Uncle right. Owen, Owen uh, Lar uh, Lars and o Owen. You know, no, you know what I'm talking about. Luke Skywalker, the Tuscan Raiders, all Luke burned. Sky yeah, yeah, Luke Skywalker's yeah. aunt and uncle, Owen Lars, was. Yeah, his name. I mean, yeah. everyone was trying to get the, the fuck away from milk. Tatooine. Why the fuck would I try to go there? <laughs> you can stay <laughs> in those <laughs> rooms. Yeah. Boy, speaking of Tatooine, I'll tell you what. <laughs> Luke never got laid there in that hold Tatooine. Hold on, hold on. I said, tell you about Tatooine. I went to this Comic Con, the DC oh, version called Awesome Con. Boy, the Jedi have let themselves go. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I tell you, they, they don't need to worry about Tatooine. I've they need to worry about how many LBs they put on during the quarantine, wow, if you know what I'm saying. Wow. That little Brian Campbell joke there yeah. for you. Yeah, I like that. I like that a boy, lot. Boy, dude, I got to tell you, the X-Men let themselves go. Very, very, very <laughs> uh, shameful. What's the fifth fight on this card? On this uh, card? The last Jaylen one would be Turner. actually the, the opener is the Bo Nickel fight. Right. And oh, which wait, is, are we giving Trayshawn Gore a chance? What, no. what level of... of Resist. No to your yeah. point about the Drickus and the Whitaker, 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10, you know, It's MMA, but 10 out of 10. We still haven't seen Bo Nickel, like, be forced to kickbox for, like, seven straight minutes, I right? doubt that Gore's that guy. Could yeah. be wrong. Yeah. I doubt he's that guy. No, the last one is right. going to be a very interesting and fun one. Jalen Turner right. taking on Dan Hooker. Yes. That's a that's a great fight, actually. Jalen Turner, you know, it's fun. it was a little bit too much for him against Marcin um, uh, Gamrot. It's Gamrot, yes, against Gamrot. Mateus uh, Gamrot? No, sorry. Did I say Martin Tybora. Mateus Gamrot. I appreciate yeah. the correction. He, he fell a little short against Gamrot, but in general has been on a nice-looking little uh, ascendancy. Oh, yeah. Dan That's Hooker Dan Hooker had lost four or five, but then in, in his last fight, he gets a phenomenal win. So, Chuck, temperature uh -huh. on this one. Did they just put it on because... Probably Turner's going to win. You know it's going to be an action fight. Why not? I think that's true. Right. I think this is. You feel bad for Hooker and these because he keeps fighting these guys. So you're like, oh, he man. loves it though. I know he, he loves it. He fucking loves he's going to be that guy. Tats, he's going to be that got, guy. But he's got like new shin guard tats yeah. and like a full back rack. Going I do on. feel like it's like a showcase for Turner. You, know? you think so? Yeah. Yeah. How? Okay. So Hooker's only like. I mean, I just feel like they're. He's I think young. they like him. You know, and and he's. Interesting, Billy fight like the way he fights and everything else. Um, Has Hooker become the Australian Cowboy Cerrone? That's the real question. Oh. <laughs> That's a very Brian Campbell way of. <laughs> and would this be the biggest uh, upset maybe. for a Hooker? Although Cowboy since... kept winning, like he kept winning. Like yeah, he Cowboy had better win streaks. Yeah. That that Iaquinta, um, what was that win streak he had? He had beat Iaquinta, yeah, Felder, Felder. Yes, that was like a really right. nice win streak that he put together, although somewhat disputed. He's got the willingness of Cowboy, though. I feel like he'll do he'll do that. I just I think he needs to compile more victories, but I don't know. I just feel like this is a tough one for him. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, it's a very tough one because like the thing is like Dan Hooker will wrestle Turner, but like he doesn't have Gamrot level wrestling, yeah. so I feel like that will kind of not work. So he probably will have to be training on the feet. And dude, <laughs> Turner is a I know. nightmare a on sniper. the feet. Yeah, he is. Uh, you know, I, I often say this like if you like spiders. 
as like a hobby, definitely something's wrong with you. I just want to be very clear about He's that. Like, like a house deserve to be, you know, go to a, a, a mental institution. But he does seem like a very nice kid, and I think he sold some of them. So <laughs> he had like a hundred of them or something. He had a hundred fucking tarantulas, something like that. Somebody did a piece. Can you imagine it. the dude that you reach out to on the dark web that like is like the key. F- that's distributor, like, facilitator of like, if you're going to, if you acquire a hundred spiders and then you're like, holy shit, I got, I got a problem here. I got to get, <laughs> I got to offload about 75 of these. Uh, Who are you calling? It's some, it's some, how shady is that guy? The guy that you call to be like, Hey, can you help me? Can you help Don't me? Don't you just spray him with a raid or yeah, something? Yo, just kill them. You're saying? Just spray them, right? Just, just poison them. <laughs> I like uh, uh, spiders about as much as I like black licorice and, black um, good. and, and women who smoke cigarettes. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not down on the cigarette smoking. No, I don't not like hot that. at all. But the black licorice is good. You'd agree with that, right? Uh, no, black licorice deserves to be. Uh, yeah, that's that's just all <laughs> shot into space. Right. Send that to the bottom of the ocean next to the Titanic. You eat Ebola candy too, or what? You know. Oh. You know, I couldn't believe people said that you aren't allowed to make fun of the dudes who died in the submarine. It's like, guys, that's all people. When I grew up, they were making fun of the Ethiopian, uh, you know, starvation. Yes, I know. Like. You know, the AIDS crisis. The AIDS crisis turned into AIDS material. It just did. Brian Campbell tells us AIDS jokes all day long. <laughs> no, it's unbelievable. No. We started the sh- before the show. You had some AIDS. No, that was just him. It was no, just all got, his- got a hard five when it comes to AIDS. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the erection he carries around telling these jokes. AIDS, 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 AIDS. All right. Well, that's it for us. I don't think you're giving much respect to the featured fights on this what else am I portion? Right. I can read you. Robbie Lawler's on the phone. Fo- in the succession. Car. Yeah. Can we put some respect By the way, on the great. the hero of International Fight Week, his fight was the co main event with Robbie, excuse me, with Roy McDonald, where they had the intense face off oh, and yeah, everything. Yeah, the one that went oh. to the Hall of Fame, that fight? Yes. Mean? That was, a, that a was International Fight Week. That was a co main event. Chuck, wow. do you think one day he will come around to our side and realize that Rory versus Robbie was better than Robbie versus Conor? What these, what these fucking rubes. <laughs> just do not realize is that fight was not better. It had a, a really cool face-off. Right. It's in the Hall of Fame. It had a really cool stare-down. It's in the Hall of Fame. But the fight with Condit, the actual yeah. fighting oh. content, is better right. with Condit. There are two fights on this preliminary card that we would shoot ourselves for not mentioning. So the Robbie Lawler-Nico Price fight is certainly headlined by the idea that this is it. The for former Robbie champion, Lawler. Yeah. Robbie yeah. Lawler, stepping away. Um, you got to give him credit for lingering for a while here. Robbie Lawler very has much had a it. remarkable career. A lot, I, of, I, lot of layers, up and downs, a lot yes. of reinventions. You Dude, know? he had a lot. I mean, his first run in the UFC when he got triangled by Evan Tanner was a failure, and he got knocked out by Nick Diaz. That's and you right. just because he was he blew away the Tiki Ghostins of the world and everybody else, and then he got dropped with a jab by Nick Diaz. He got he got triangled by Evan Tanner. He goes on a sojourn, eventually finds his way back and becomes fucking champion. He made his <laughs> UFC debut in and 2002. Butchered like the division. I mean, yeah. like, those fights, man, took years off of each other's lives. Like, uh, Hendrix, I know, and uh, just so many. I mean, he did obviously the entire world. Took over eventually later, but even that Askren fight was nuts. Everything oh, about what Lawler did was incredible. Dude, he's on he made course. his UFC debut 21 years ago. I know he didn't stay in the UFC that whole time, and he's been everywhere in between. But I give him so much credit uh, on that short list of your two or three favorite fighters to go rewatch on UFC Fight Pass. Every fight he was in was fantastic <sighs> for the most part. This is a fun exit against Nico Price. You know what you're going to get from <laughs> it. Um, but Robbie does have that unique resume because there was that point where he was looked at like. As the overachieving brawler, you know what I mean, who made yeah. it high up on the strike force level, but when he started to climb the UFC title ladder, there was still sort of a stigma against him. And also, he, I remember like we, uh, so I worked for this promotion. It's now owned by somebody else, but 
Back then, it was a Mid-Atlantic promotion. This was in the aughts. It was called the UWC, the mm -hmm. Ultimate Warrior Challenge. Very terrible name. <laughs> and they brought in Robbie Lawler. I think at the time, he was with either with Icon Sport, a.k.a. Super Brawl, or Strike Force. I can't remember exactly what year that was. But I remember we like they paid for him and Matt Hughes because they trained together. Remember right. the, the dissolution of the Miltich fighting systems in uh, their, their private facility. And uh, so they paid for them to come out and be like the honorary guests. And Robbie Lawler fell asleep at the press conference. I remember that. I remember. And he did an, no, an actual yeah. like a, a Strike Force event too. I, I was, I was there like, with Strike Force. There was a time when he was like he could not give a yes. fuck less. Now he still doesn't do the media thing, but his commitment to the craft kind of came back around. Guys peak at weird times in their careers. Stop sparring and all that stuff. At he, some point, he just did yeah. spar. Remember? Yeah. Yeah, I remember when he when he was champion and he came by ahead of UFC 201 in 2016. He came to ESPN and Okamo Brett Okamoto happened to be in Bristol that week. So the two of us kind of – Brett interviewed uh, Robbie, but we sat down with him for about a half hour behind the camera just shooting the shit. And I was marveled that, like, you know he's not a great quote. He doesn't buy into, like, the trash talk thing. He's not going to give you – you know, he's just sort of going to do the job and walk away. But, like, any question we asked related to the fight game, oh, dude, like, what's your favorite fight? Or what about this? What about that? Everything was just sort of like – you know what, dude? I don't really care about that stuff. I just really love to fight. That was his answer <laughs> to every single question mm -hmm, about, it. like, who hit the hardest, man? What's it like? Tell me. You know, I don't really know. I mean, I don't really like this stuff. He's like, I just really like to fight. He's like, I don't like doing this interview at all. No disrespect to you guys. I don't even really want to be here at all. He's like, I just That's, that's been I just him the whole way, though. And that that's was, like, different from Cowboy, who was always a tough interview. because yeah. you see, he's like, just like me. He hates everything about MMA does. except the fight. He does. <laughs> um, I got to have to dead wrong myself before anybody else does. I mentioned that IFW doubleheader of uh, Romero, Adesanya, and JJ versus Whaley. I think that was actually March right before the pandemic yeah. in 2020. So Yoel, I think Yoel fought Whitaker on one of the could be on one of the international but fights. I, yeah. I did wrong that Chuck yeah thanks for being here thanks this man. is normally the awkward yeah. part where you're like Chuck tell them where they can find no. you Chuck, tell them where they can find you find me I'm on the internets at Chuckman are, are you in like some sheriff <laughs> deputies like registry <laughs> can we go to the myth.com uh, MITH yeah and you purchase can go that there app, maybe? Yes. No, I've been waiting for you guys to touch feet the whole time I know BC oh, oh I, I wasn't really god now it. you're married oh wow wow uh, BC where can we find you aside from the alley while on your knees uh <laughs> Uh, no comment. No comment. Uh, <laughs> we almost got out of here with Not this. all those who are lost, Luke, are trying to be found. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that's fair. Uh, yeah. This has been our UFC 290 pregame preview. None of us are going to go, but if you do, have a great time. That's Brian Campbell. That's uh, the Iceman himself, Chuck. In Manuel. hindsight, how would you de de define the talk that was had among the three of us today? Uh, far less stupid than it normally is. Would you yeah. say it's pretty informed. A little closer to real drinking talk? water yeah. this time. Like men do? Yeah. Glad you brought that up at the end. You almost forgot your own time. That's how we long it's been. We should call this high tea it takedown. A, it has been a long time. You want to change the name? High hey, tea. Hey, hold on. Not a not a BC and LT choice. Want to point <laughs> that out? Not a BC and LT choice. Yeah. Um, All right, Chuck. Thank you for bringing um, your Coloradian spirit with us. Thanks, man. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. You know what people from Colorado think about all the time? Freedom and weed. Mostly weed. Yeah, that's true. Mostly <laughs> weed. And go, that is go great. Nuggets. Go also, nuggets. go NBA Denver team, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yes. All right. Yeah. So there he is. Brian Campbell, Iceman himself, LT, Luke Thomas. Thank you guys so much for watching. Until next time, enjoy the fights. By Nuggets, I meant weed. I know. That was, yeah, yeah. <laughs>